Water. Earth. Fire. Gas. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed that gas, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang... ...had better deliver. Welcome back to The Greenhouse, dear listener. Today, as promised, we're going to have our episode about Avatar, The Last Airbender. And joining me today is Obata. Hey, thank you for having me back, Adi. John? Hey, yep. Uh, it's great to be back. Thank you for having me again. And Alex? Whoop, whoop. Back in the house. It's good to be here. The boys are back. <laughs> Thanks the again for coming on, guys. <laughs> All right. So I... I guess it's good that we picked um, just a media topic to discuss today, and it's particularly unique in my memory because I, I think it was like what about two thousand three when this show came out? Uh, two thousand five or six. Two thousand five or six. Okay, so still seven or still eight, peak yeah. Bush years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but that's the thing is like it was starkly in contrast to everything around it like the fact that this show was on like nickelodeon instead of something like toonami was already like what separated it and especially like again i think for entertainment targeted to people our age at that time it took its younger audience seriously and addressed some deeper themes and deeper topics and even like abstract things that adults don't tend to talk about like spirituality like growing up in traumatic and conflict uh based times uh dealing with trauma stuff and it did it in a very mature and simple way yeah it wasn't patronizing at all it wasn't patronizing at all and it was the kind of thing that like uh at least for me like my parents probably hated anything i watched on tv and then this was the kind of thing where like my dad would pitch in on this. He's like, oh, they're talking meditation and all. And then, like, would, you know, we, we would finish the episode and shit. So it had, like, this cross-demographic uh, appeal in a way that I think other shows at the time just were not able to. And I wanted to, you know, talk of nostalgia before we get into some of the substantive stuff. Mm-hmm. What impact did it have? How were you guys ex- exposed to Avatar? wants to go first because i i have quite a oh, not go first, crazy backstory this. but i remember it so i remember when the first episode aired and i remember very fondly it was like in this old uh in my old house that i used to live in and like i remember sitting down and watching the first episode and just like seeing i don't know it just like blew me away like i was drawn in immediately mm-hmm. and like seeing the penguins and them going penguin sledding like i just loved it as a kid i thought it was the coolest thing and it like hooked me immediately i remember um like practicing my bending you know like as a kid that's what i did like i just like loved the show so much and i didn't have like a lot of i, I had like one of those like limited cable packages you know where you only get like a few of the channels yeah. So I had Nick, and mm. I like I like because of that. I just rewatched so many of the episodes so many times. So I have like such a vivid memory of all the episodes. Like I think in total, 
I've probably seen the show like minimum 10 times just because all the times mm -hmm. I watched it as a kid. Um, and yeah, I, what I really liked about it is that like the show started when I was like seven or eight and it ended when I was like t 11, 12, you know, four to five years ahead its run. Mm -hmm. And I like Adi was kind of mentioning, I like that it like kind of grew up with its with its audience mm -hmm. like as a set like season three is not something that like seven-year-old me probably could have handled but like as a 12-year-old it was like the most insane thing i had ever seen so i have a very uh fond fond love of this show a lot and the nostalgia is very strong yeah for me taking myself back to when i first saw the show the first episode the thing i appreciate about just network TV back in the day that doesn't really exist nowadays with like Hulu and Netflix is it built suspense. Oh, the commercial, like, <laughs> oh, next week, tune in for this part. They did a really good job at making it dramatic and drawing your attention and keeping your attention. Um, and like Obata said, from the first episode, I was already drew in, but just that suspense that Nickelodeon would build about next week's episode, it continually kept my interest that was one of the only shows other than like spongebob back in the day that i was committed to like i just mm -hmm. enjoyed them for two separate reasons but very much committed and dedicated to making sure i sat my ass down and caught those episodes <laughs> because it wasn't like you could binge them bad boys you would get the one new and maybe they replay it over again the half hour or so afterwards and then it was lost in the way you gotta catch it based on your tv guide so yep. yeah yeah it was a good time it has a fine place in my heart for sure yeah so for me like um i got into avatar a little like not later but late so the first, um, as a kid, the first um, episode of Avatar that I watched, I think was the um, season one finale, actually. And really? That's that's what grabbed me. The, wow. When, I, when you got to see the invasion of the North. And Just the giant see, fish thing. Dude, watching that fish die when that, when that guy strikes it down and watching another character on, like, I, you know, I was a kid at the time and watching a woman give up her life mm -hmm. just to save. That was traumatizing. It, it it was traumatizing. It was like it was amazing though because like you got to see like real sacrifice and like yeah, this isn't, it, it this is isn't like too. and like this isn't like a DC movie or like a Marvel movie where death has no meaning and people come back alive. No, she was gone. You know, like that was it. Legit. And yeah. like I love that. Like that that was just so real. You know, I, I really love that. And I, I I eventually like went back and just watched everything in order like several times and like saw the 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 plot and leading up to that point. I just remember loving it. I love the art. I love the the bending. It just looks so fucking cool. Um, it was just great. It's just a great show. Definitely has like a ton of nostalgia for me. Um, yeah, that's. I just love the show because like it's not patronizing at all. It's just like there's like real stuff actually goes down, and it's not like, oh, this is a kid. You know, kids can't handle this. No, they like mm -hmm. they, they they definitely tiptoed over that line. So, Jonathan, I have got to ask. That was the first episode you got introduced. Did you ever look at the full moon the same way? <laughs> I would never, like, even, even not I even just her. full moons. Not even just full moons, like lunar eclipses where, like, the moon is just red. That just immediately <laughs> brings me right back to that one. <laughs> immediately. Something is very wrong. Exactly. <laughs> we have to go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys have played Breath of the Wild, um, but there's like a recurring game event where like all the monsters you kill come back to life every now and then as a blood moon. 
And then it, the first time it happened, it happened like in the first five minutes of gameplay for me for whatever reason. Because it, it's just a randomly occurring event. But it's like Zelda's like goes to speak. It's like the blood moon rises once again. And I'm like, the last time I saw this shit, it didn't end well for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so I guess growing up uh, and watching this show, like I think we all had favorite arcs, although all of it was pretty good. Is there a favorite arc that you look back on as like this is the defining moment of the series for me? For me, there's two, and I feel like one of them is. Oh, first of all, there's so many characters with great arcs. Let me just say that right now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna pick my favorite, but definitely like there's so much more. But obviously, there's Zuko. Obviously, yeah. Easiest, easiest choice in the world. Um, but another arc that I think is criminally underrated is um, Azula's. Criminally mm. underrated. She goes from like being the favorite, being the one next to the throne to being over ambitious eventually losing herself falling into insanity and losing it all and i just love that i don't know i love i love the the juxtaposition between zuko's arc and azula's it's just perfect yeah i think azula is a good one i think another like very underrated one because like as a kid like obviously like Aang was like that's like the character you know what i mean like you want to see him defeat the Fire Lord, all that. But especially, like, as I've gotten older and rewatched it a few times, which I know we're going to talk about later, like, how our perception of it has changed. But I think Katara actually has a very underrated arc as well. Mm. I think, like, I think just you see her evolution, specifically, like, with her role as a mother figure in the group. Like, you see her evolution as a character and her kind of coming to terms with it. And it all kind of culminates in that in the one episode where she confronts her um, her mom's uh, her mom's killer, and it just like I remember like it just was like so impactful and so satisfying. Such a good episode. No, and yeah, she was about is, to kill him. That was the yeah. crazy part. Yeah, like genuine like anger and like anguish in her eyes. You know what I mean? Like pure pure pain and like I don't know, like the moment where she like like restrains herself is just like very powerful to me so i think that like miniature arc within the story is like one that doesn't get talked about enough because i feel like a lot of people kind of talk bad about katara they're like oh she's just like annoying she's just the mom in the group she doesn't really like change that much which are like to ex- some extent valid criticisms but i think there there is a lot of like growth in her character i appreciate it classically Zuko's arc but also I like to give attention to the people surrounding his development throughout the show Mm -hmm. that's what I appreciated most like of course Uncle Ira classic of course wisdom of a thousand Mm -hmm. people through and through (laughs) Um, one of the most impactful moments of me um, for me looking back was when they captured um, Appa Mm. and they were downstairs in that basement Oh, I guess we're and fine. I will confront Zuko about. He's like, I'm gonna cap. I'm gonna. I got the bison, and then, and then I don't know yet. He was like, and then what? You always do this, calling back to all of the previous times where essentially Zuko wasn't thinking ahead, wasn't having a plan thought out, wasn't even thinking about who he was or his own pathway, his own development, who he actually wants to be outside of his father's um, perception. And I think that was just such a powerful moment um, 
that they did really well and them having that moment in a basement to themselves with the main the main method that if Zuko was going to get angry, this was going to be the way and him being met with his dissonance of really what do I do at this moment and then seeing from that point on you start to see a character shift you start to see um, a pivot and you just start to see that iteratively become uh, what Zuko turns out to be by the end of the series and I just think that was such a powerful moment that cannot be understated mm -hmm. um, so just seeing how all of these various people in Zuko's life was pulling him in various different directions all from some sense of an understandable place and really as a watcher as a viewer being invested in what decision is he going to make because these are all powerful reasons why he can go one way or the other so yeah good times yeah i'm gonna have to agree with zuko's arc but I, there's one specific episode i always look back on really and it's that one where he's separated from iroh for whatever reason and oh, Zuko alone. He, yeah, Zuko alone, and oh, he's such a good. It, 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 I, I point back to it, yeah. even though Aang is not in it. A lot of the characters aren't in it. It's no, just him going yeah. through his life trauma. The only person mm. who really understands him is his mother. You know, his sister is literally a psychotic person in power, and his <laughs> father is not only abusive but is the textbook like imperial character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he has very few like uh, people who. Uh, can you know rein in his more impulsive behaviors and like give him like a space to grow um and it's uh it's contrasted with how alone he is in this moment and how like he's deeply ashamed of himself and is you know he carries it with him that he's this, this dishonorable person and then at the end of the episode, what is it? He defends a family um, from being, um, what is it? Uh, they were being having, like robbed. They were, it like, was basically a racket. Yeah. yeah I, I wanted to say the, the fancy word for it, but they were just, they were having a racket on them by Earth, Earth Kingdom yeah. soldiers. He does the right thing, fights them honorably with a sword, even when they're fighting dirty. Then by mistake uses his firebending, and it's it had this nice cowboy vibe going on with it too. So I'm like, okay, way to cross genres there. Mm -hmm. But For sure. you know, he uses his firebending, exposes himself as like Prince Zuko, and everyone shuns him for it. And like he walks on like silently, and you kind of just like internalize like, but that's the most honorable thing someone in that universe could do. And it's still yeah. you know pe people will perceive him as whatever. And he bears that pain silently, and that's why he's such a difficult person to reason with. For me, I think that um, one of my favorite episodes in terms of Zuko's arc was what I feel like the ending to it, which is, in my opinion, the, um, the I forgot the name of the episode, but it's when they found the Lost Sun Warriors. And mm. um, I really, I really oh, such that. a good episode. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna <laughs> say that for every episode we bring up. <laughs> Because like, every episode is there was only episode. one bad episode. It was the one where they were stuck on the Great Divide and they were those two bickering really? like tribes episode, of people. I don't know that one. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. It was so the first. <laughs> That's the only bad episode. That. Every other one, solid. Banger. Yeah. Banger. No, but for Zuko, like I, I love that episode in terms of his arc because it, it essentially closes it. It, it. Like he, all his life, he's trained to be like this crazy, masterful firebender. And 
um we learned at that episode well, we didn't learn but we realized at that episode that he's mostly like his power comes from his rage and anger which was you know for most of the series pretty justifiable you know when your father abuses you like that kicks you out of kicks you out of your own home you know puts you on this impossible quest you know he has a lot of rage and anger to to you know to deal with and to use as pretty much ammunition or fuel to his fire but i love the fact that in that episode like we we learn a couple things about zuko and one is that he's pretty much calm the fuck down you know like he he, he doesn't have that same rage which is why his fire bending isn't working and so they need to go find a better method of a, a, a more sustainable method of fire bending um and so then you know he learns from the dragons and i love that episode so much because we also learned that Iroh, even at his worst, when he was like, you know, a general for the Fire Nation, um, you know, bombing Ba Sing Se, we even learned that he spared a dragon, which is just like, that isn't a thing. You know, people don't do that. You know, they hunted dragons and killed them for sport. But I think it's really cool that even, even, even at Iroh at his worst, we still learn that he had compassion. And it's really cool because you start seeing Zuko following in Iroh's footsteps, even though he clearly doesn't mean to. It's just like it's, it's like it's almost destiny. It is destiny, pretty much at the you know. But I love that because find him finding a way to resolve some of his conflicts and pick a different method of how to bend is just really cool to me. And I love that you know that's easily. It's kind of I feel like it's like a like a confirming moment. You know, it's like when you know, okay, Zuko's cool now. Yeah, and the other cool thing about that episode too is like what it at least in hindsight what it represents to me is and what i've always loved about the series is that there is a real reverence that these characters have in the world for for nature for the deeper like spiritual aspects of their world and i mean of course in their universe like it manifests more plainly as the spirits can visit us on their plane and there is like a real perception to spirituality that they have in their world that we can't always have in ours but having that is is so powerful and transformative because they can have like a direct connection to the forces that made their world and like be connected, you know, to the world itself in a way that you can't when you just purely think in abstract, civilized, you know, alienated away from the human condition type of thinking that the Fire Nation became when it became an empire like that. So him meeting this indigenous tribe of people, right? who have access to nature in its purest form. Like these are the people who invented the dragons are the ones who hold the art of firebending and this tribe protects it because they were the first one to receive that knowledge. I mean, it, it kind of has that, you know, way of showing people like this is why we need to respect indigenous uh, practices and cultures and why those spiritual roots are important in a way that's not ham-fisted or patronizing, first of all. But it, it marks like, Zuko as a human being versus Zuko as a instrument of the Fire Nation as an empire mm -hmm. where, you know, fire is not a tool to an end to extract profit from the rest of the four nations. It's a literal connection that humans have to nature in, in this universe. And it, crossing themes like that are critical when I think, you know, we grow up in a really highly modern society where everything's abstracted from us. We don't fully feel spiritual connections or connected to nature outside of the typical yeah i go hiking on saturdays type deal you know what i mean yeah i think you raised a really good point there with like with the empirical nature of it all because that's essentially what it was right it was um you know fire fire lord ozai expanding his, his territory 
it would have been so easy for Zuko to accidentally discover these people, to accidentally discover this land and just make a phone call, you know, and get the Fire Nation there to further, you know, extend the colonies and everything, but he chose not to. So that's a really good point you made about Zuko no longer being an instrument of colonialism, of empiricalism, and Zuko being his own person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that I've really appreciated about the show as I've grown older I've I, I've been very lucky that I can like rewatch the show at different points in my life, but especially like rewatching it last year, just appreciating all the very like important themes that were covered in the show, like like Adi mentioned, like there's a lot of environmentalism and like a respect for nature and the land that we're on and the environment that we live on. Like there's a lot of that. There's a lot of the imperialism, a lot of the cycle of violence. Like there's a lot of really mature themes within the show um, dealing with trauma and like how you can overcome that. Uh, Aang having like the pressure of expectations. Like there are a lot of different themes that everyone can relate to. And I think that's why the show is like so universally loved. And why I love it is just like there's there's something for everyone and there's like a struggle and like that everyone can relate to in some situation. I think that's why um, Uncle Iroh is like such a revered character. Like there are literally YouTube videos of just like Uncle Iroh wisdom for like 10 minutes. Like just like people go back to that because like we we need to hear these things that like reassure us. And I, I feel like they just do a really good job at covering all these very complex topics very subtly. Mm hmm. Yeah, I have very few notes after what Obata just contributed. That was much of the same what I was going to say. Um, the show has stood the test of time in ways that other shows, particularly catered towards a younger audience, just hasn't. I think that's because, as we already covered, um, the creators, the writers, the developers, they it wasn't patronizing. They handled it in a age-appropriate but adult manner. Mm -hmm. They covered a range of different topics. Um, even over the course of, you know, the pandemic over 2020, 2021, you know, more people got invested into binging, and that was one of the top shows for a hot minute. People started yeah. to have more yeah. pieces mm -hmm. on it, more thoughts on it, and truly, it hasn't been canceled. It's been more revered. There's been more people galvanizing behind Avatar just because they did a good job. And we don't see, particularly back in the day, but even now, shows that do that good of a mm -hmm. job that can have that great a range over covering such a litany of different topics. Um, and so it's just really a tip to the hat. It's no, it's no surprise as to why it's such a trademark show that generations can get behind and love and adore and rewatch and find different things to pull from it. As Jonathan said earlier, we mature in our own lives mm -hmm. as we come to understand the world around us based on our own experiences, as we see the different things that even back in the day when the first season came out, of course, we didn't expect for them to cover as many times as they did. It was just four nations. It was stuff. Yeah, they did an incredible job at taking this concept and moving it in such a real honest true way paralleling it with the things that are actually happening and continue to happen in our actual reality to where it's not so grounded in fanatical 
notions that we can't see how this can tie into today. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah. So that's a really good point. Like Alex, like and the fact that one, they tied in so much real world aspects, real life stuff into this uh, fantastical, magical world. Another thing I love is just the, the range of just topics in general, not even how far they've covered it. They've covered things from like abusing animals to right. like wartime propaganda to spirituality. It's just like, it, like, I feel like that's one of the reasons why it's so successful. It's just there's so much wisdom in so many different areas. Like, how can you watch this movie and not learn? Or how can you watch the show and not learn something? How can you watch the show and not connect in some way? Absolutely. And I think what both of you said was leading into the next topic I wanted to bring up, which is they made this kind of syncretic world for this show and then for the sister series, Korra, that drew heavily from Asian culture, practices around the world in a way that was coherent and cohesive. But something that I, I'm just considering in today's media and media commentary landscape is trying to write off certain pieces of material as problematic. And in some cases, they really are, right? Like, if anyone remembers that, oh, God, um, that Netflix movie, Bright, where it's a, a fantasy oh world that is L.A., <laughs> and they basically yeah. made orcs, like, inner, like uh, as a literal stand-in for for Compton. All the orcs live in Compton. It was the most ham-fisted reference, and that can be problematic, right? Um, yeah, like, I, I feel like Bright was just too on the nose. Like, like, very on the I, nose. There was literally a, like a, like a, there was literally a line where I think Will Smith literally says, fairy lives don't matter. Right, like, right. We get it. Come on. Like, oh, well, so bad. Yeah, because like, like, there's, uh, <laughs> that is patronizing. Yeah, and know? I think, you know, there's something to be said that, like, trying to make the work you're putting out mirror the exact political moment you're in is never a good idea because, it's alienating to whatever audience is going to see it in the future. And that prevents it from being timeless. But I mean, I did, I just wanted to ask the question. Uh, these were still like two guys from California who just like took all of it and took on a lot of risks and trying to make something out of a culture and they could have done it so wrong. What do you think they did right? And what was different about their approach versus some of these more problematic ones we see today? So, um, to answer this question, um, I don't know about you guys, but mm -hmm. I love um, occasionally going to YouTube and watching like, the behind the scenes oh, uh, stuff for Avatar. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, to answer your question, um, Adi, um, I think there's two main things that Avatar does very differently from a lot of other shows um, with, with handling different culture. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first thing is just general respect. I think that it's so easy to come up with like a magical world that's centered around Asian culture. And it's so easy to just throw in some stereotypical Asian music or throw in some stereotypical hilarious Kung Fu sounds or throw in some stereotypical, like it's just so easy to do that. And Avatar strictly refrains from that. You know, mm -hmm. Avatar does have Asian centered music, but you know, it's not the, it's not the super racist stereotypical, you know, jingle that always plays whenever there's like mm -hmm. an Asian character on screen. Um, the, just that basic form of respect and I think that respect leads to like a deeper understanding like we got to learn about like different chi and different like spirituality aspects there's close ties with Buddhism with Hinduism I'm not sure with Hinduism I know for a fact with Buddhism well with the chakras um, part yeah yeah like tied into the show I think with with respect comes that deeper understanding and you can incorporate more of it and, and use more of it for art and I think that's great 
I think another thing that they did great, the second thing, um, is like understanding that they don't know the culture. Maybe, well, maybe they don't know the culture as well. Like they, they, they found experts, mm-hmm. which I think was mm-hmm. great. Um, I was watching a video the other day about the behind the scenes on the animation of the bending and about how each different bending took styles from actual martial arts. Yep, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. yeah, and they incorporated that into their fighting style. Like they literally had different um, martial arts experts come in and they did their moves and like, I don't know all the, you know, rendering or whatever, you know, the drawing mm-hmm. and everything, but they essentially took these moves and incorporated that into the, into the bending and then went a step further and incorporated like the ideology behind the martial arts into the culture itself, like into the earth nation, into the fire nation, into the air nation. And like, I just think that's awesome. Like if you don't know, it's fine. You don't know, go find someone who does, you know, they didn't guess, they didn't try to figure it out. They, went to the culture and pulled from the culture. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I honestly have to agree with everything John said. I was going to say the respect is a huge aspect. I think um, just the research that they put into this show, like John said, like they were very aware that they like didn't know everything. So like, like John said, I've seen a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. They've like did a lot of research on the culture. They sent a lot of people out to like Japan, China, all over the world just to get a better understanding. And I I think another reason why the show works so well is because you don't, it has the influence, but there's no, like, there's no Japanese character. There's no Chinese character. It's kind of ambiguous in a way. And there's a lot of, I know like the fire nation is based, like their architecture is based on like um, Japanese architecture and the monks of the air nation are, um, you know, like the avatar itself, the concept is based off the Dalai Lama. So like, there's a lot of blending of culture and I think they do it in a way that's very seamless, but like just a genuine, with a genuine passion for it. I don't think they were doing it with um, trying to sell a show or anything. I think both creators are like very big fans of anime and they were very um, influenced by it growing up. And Mm -hmm. I think that really comes through in the show. Yeah, same thing. I would say respect is one of the key things that comes to mind. So why it was so good. The other thing I would add in is how thorough they were, which is already mm-hmm. something that both Obata and Jonathan talked about, but just giving more credence to that. This wasn't something that, say, they gave one episode to the Air Nation, one episode to the Fire Nation, one episode to the Earth. Nation. They took their time mm-hmm. over the seasons to not just gain inspiration from these real world places, these real world spaces, but actually dig into that blending that Obata mentioned where we know that this is getting pulled from places that's in our reality, but they're also added in their own inspiration and touch to it, Mm -hmm. to where it's not, like you say, um, blatantly saying, well, this is Japan. And this is the Dalai Lama and so on and so forth. Like that's where they had their creative genius come into play. Mm-hmm. And they also took their time to where you saw the development, you saw the story, the arc, the lore, all of these things come to light episode by episode, season by season. You had the recurring characters, you had the recurring spaces, all of these things that really mapped out how they envisioned this entire series going, being put to life before our very eyes and having that honor be at the forefront when it comes to the places and spaces that they're pulling from, 
while they put forth their own creative genius. So I would just say the the amount of not just breadth of content they have, but also the depth that they took in, whether it be like the research or leaning on the experts as they started to tell their story is something that I think allowed it to be such an honorable piece of work mm-hmm. because it didn't just see, as you said, um, Adi, it wasn't just ham and fist. It wasn't just, let's just throw this to the wall. Let's just get this storyboard going. Let's just, we got five minutes to get this um, to the heads before, like they, they truly made this process their own mm-hmm. and they took the time for it to be something that again is respectable, is true, is honest, um, but also could again stand the test of time even when we start to get into more nowadays where so many things are being critically looked at as having some sort of legitimate problem to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just really quickly, like I had I, never considered, like they were just incredibly patient, like they took their time. And I think that's what Alex was saying. And I think that's a really good point. I think with a lot of media now, especially in like Netflix and Hulu era, like you get this many episodes. If you don't like it, you're not coming back. Like, and everyone's going to watch it all at once. No one's going to take time to process it. Like, so I think the fact that they like, they held their cards for a long time and allowed it to progress naturally is like another reason why it works very well. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I get pushback from you guys a lot over how I feel about legend of Korra versus this show. But I think your <laughs> emphasis on patience is really what characterizes that for me. Yeah. Um, because they were patient with this program in a way that they just weren't with the sequel. And I think all the problems that Cora has stems from that impatience. So we can we can address my controversial views on that now. But yes, I did want to because I know let's Alex does have it. to get we going about first. To throw hands. Well, let's Al- go. well, here's the thing: Alex <laughs> does have to get going in fifteen, and then me and. Me, John, and Obata can fin- finish these points later. Um, yeah. So first, I want to get your takes in on the Nickelodeon live-action movie that ended up happening, The Last Airbender. There Did you guys ever get around movie. to it? Sorry, what was that? Movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, the- I don't know what you're talking about either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you guys are clearly... I, I understand you guys okay, are going full will, Stalinist on say, this one. but with my genuine answer, I was very excited to see the mm-hmm. movie obviously i think i was in seventh or eighth grade and as you can tell this had a very big impact because i remember like what time of my life it was and i remember like movies was not like a common thing we did with her family because like five to six people going to the theater that can get kind of pricey you know what i mean yeah so... yeah and just my dad hated going anywhere and spending money so like i think from a cultural <laughs> right. standpoint you know yeah, so, like, we had to be very selective. And I remember I, like, had to sell everyone on, like, going to Avatar. The mm. And I just was so destroyed and betrayed. Like, even as a seventh grader, I was like, <laughs> this is not it. Why are the rocks moving so slow? This is not And it took four guys to move that rock. <sighs> okay, that's all I'm going to say. After my ignore that last two minutes i don't know what movie you're talking about didn't exist. <laughs> i was the same boat i was in yeah. the same boat it was me and my sister and like we were the ones who were like super heavily into avatar mm-hmm. and we heard a movie was coming out and we were like yes let's go do this um there was five of us so again you know we, we didn't go to the movie set often kind of pricey sure but like we went and like the disappointment like there are no like, words for it. <laughs> there are no words. Like, I wanted to be angry, but I was sad. Like, 
I, I love like, this is my was first so... heartbreak, dude. I personally <laughs> felt discriminated against. I it felt like it. It felt so man. I don't get me started on the writing the, was terrible. But... The races for each nation. Oh my oh, god, dude. make the Fire Nation yeah, brown such... people. Yeah, bro, go for uh, it. Go <laughs> off. Like, that was I such guess. an unnecessary thing that they didn't have to do at all. I just want to uh, say that um, I also remember my time vividly. I'm pretty sure that was one of the few movies at my time at that age that I saw in IMAX because I was that excited. Oh, like, the money was, was, like, was absolutely wasted. We paid extra for the 3D, man. Don't get me started. <laughs> I was like, That's I rough, buddy. This to be a whole experience. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> it was me and my brother and my pops. We we drove the whole ride home with no words. We, just, we needed our personal time. We needed to self soothe. Such a horrid experience, a waste of our time, of our money. Really, just I, I had no words. I could not believe. I had to double check. To make sure I went into the correct theater, I had to double check the title. I was like, "Is this correct? Is this what this is supposed to be?" I just, I, I almost didn't go back to the series. I was like, "I'm done with this." Everything oh associated God. with Avatar. Yeah. I was like, "Core came." I was like, "Screw this! I don't care." <laughs> it, took me, it took me years to go back to Core. I was just so, I was so distraught. I. My whole worldview was changed for the worse, and it took a minute for me to come back. I just can't believe more people weren't radicalized by that experience. Like, damn, yeah, this, they take our money and do this kind of shit to us? Fuck this. Say, Destroy like, the whole how system. A, how is there not, like, a class action lawsuit? Right! Like, M. Night Shyamalan. Like, like, all these people whining about the Star Wars so movies. Like, people crying world. about the Star Wars movies, the new ones that Disney made. I'm sorry, that feeling of betrayal that y'all had does not compare to what us as kids went through watching this movie. Just the, our first time realizing, like, damn, studios don't care about you. The financial uh, interests that go into the production of cinema don't care about source material, don't care even if the product is good. They just knew we were going to go in there, fork over the extra money for IMAX, and just watch this. It's it's like literally like we got got it's it's that is textbook abuse by society. Like you you go in there and your horrible treatment, and then you just walk away. Like maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I did something. <laughs> <laughs> The production of the movie That's gaslit us. It was it was oh being gaslit in a greenhouse. That's what it was. Shameless mm-hmm. mm-hmm. plug. All right, gross right now. We talked about well. This too well, let's let, let's feel better. I have I have two questions that will soothe us. I need a detox. Yes. Okay. Yeah. First first part of this question: If you had to pick a character, pick one. And what's your favorite hybrid animal in the series? Are we being a are like our favorite character, which character what we, we want to pick? Be? Yeah, what's the yeah. criteria? Uh, you you can pick the criteria on that one in terms of uh, is it the one that whose story you vibe with the most, or is it the one you want to be? Honestly, I will say though, uh, wanting to be a fictional character is is central to the bisexual experience. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> mm, interesting. Okay. Okay. Got it. Huh. I'll keep I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, I might have to do some reflecting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Take your time. Take your time. You know, I I think for me, um, 
Aang is definitely like he was he was my boy from the beginning mm-hmm. and seeing his story complete like I love the hero journey could be when it's done well is just so absolutely satisfying and I think this show is like one of the only shows or movie just any most forms of media or entertainment that like executes it perfectly mm-hmm. so like even again wanting to be him who want it want all the four elements you know um, all four at once all four at once exactly favor a hybrid animal that's that's a good question i think badger moles right badger, badger moles? moles are sick yes dude. i love the badger moles i'm gonna think about it some more but that's my that's my initial gut answer are the badger moles okay i can respect I that to, if i had to pick a character that really resonated with me i'm gonna go with Sokka. actually mm-hmm Dude, you're Zuko, I'm gonna, dude. What are you talking shut about? Up, shut, up, <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Let him shut speak, up. okay? I'm He's gonna, opening I'm up gonna... about his lived experiences and your mansplaining <laughs> on my podcast. Yeah, no, mansplaining Zuko. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to go with Sokka. Um, I'm going to go with Sokka because, um, I don't know, I, I, I really liked how vulnerable he was and mm-hmm. how goofy he was, how sarcastic, but how strategic. Um, I really, like... I love Sokka's, Sokka's master, that, that episode where he's mm-hmm. struggling with his own insecurities, realizing like he can't lift a giant boulder, he can't whip someone's water, he can't throw air. Re- like Starting off with that like heavy insecurities and then growing to realize that he has his place, he belongs there. As someone who struggles with like heavy imposter syndrome, um, I completely understand that. You know that, that definitely sits right there with me, and I definitely resonate with that. Um, if I had to pick a hybrid animal, I, I, I feel like I go with a bear. Go with <laughs> yeah, bear. just the bear. He's just a bear. I was gonna either go with bear or dragon, but I feel like those those don't count. So I, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have to go with lion turtles. Lion turtles? You know? Okay, no, I can respect oh, that. Yeah. I can respect yeah. that. Lion yeah. turtles are sick, dude. They're god. They're literally. <laughs> <laughs> He said Team Jesus on, on the play and off the play, you know. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> For me, I have to say that the character I most resonate with and I would just want to have more time around if they were in reality, Uncle Iroh, for okay. sure. It's, it's, such a, it's a respect thing, truly. I appreciate how out of all the characters in Avatar, I saw that he had such a stellar balance of both using his voice, but also asking really good questions to get people to think, particularly mm-hmm. Zuko as he was going through his journey, but also in general, whether he was talking about talking with uh, Toph when they had their one-off conversation or just in conversation with all the main characters, he would contribute. He would bring in his own experiences, his own thoughts, but he would also ask questions to get other characters to think and um, realize where their perspective was, where their perspective wasn't. And I deeply respect that in any human being because it takes just a different layer of thought to be able to construct a good question. Uh-oh. And I'm about to mute, but yeah, that and my fictional character, uh, Momo. Gotta go with that. I love it. Okay. Um, I guess if I can follow that up... um... It would be easy to say Zuko. So, I mean, I'm going to claim him uh, simply because um, 
dealing with a deep sense of shame growing up and uh, imposter syndrome, like John mentioned, um, and Zuko's whole growth arc and being able to, like, you know, overcome deep trauma and doing bad things and becoming a better person in the process. That's always been uh, something that resonated with me and something that I needed uh, growing up. So I, I will vibe with that character. The other one I wanted to bring up was Jet, if anyone remembers him. He was the like oh, revolutionary oh, character. I remember Jet. Yes, Don't because worry. <laughs> because here's the thing is that he actually is the kind of lesson that we need, especially in a world where um they're fighting against evil. How do you prevent yourself from becoming immoral in the process? Or you know, uh, counter to that, if you're willing to do those things to fight back what toll is it going to take on you? Do you become unrelatable in the process? And like, it's one of those things I tell people who, you know, fetishize uh, revolutionary imagery of like, if this is what you believe, fine, but don't be posting about it on the internet first and foremost. But second, like if you, if, if you're willing to do that, you need to win and you need to be prepared for the consequences. And that's the thing about jet that they bring up is that he's really compensating for how hurt he is and how much he's personally lost. And like I said last episode, we're like if you hold on to your victimhood narrative such that you're willing to hurt innocent people in the process, you're doing something wrong. And just having him be a fo- a direct foil to Aang, be a direct foil to Katara, be a direct foil to Zuko. In all of these points, in that you need to fight back against this power in the world, but don't let it corrupt you in the process. I think that was a critical character to bring up even as a side character all the side characters excelled um and then for favorite animals it's a tough tie between Korra's polar bear dog and uh the turtle ducks in uh the fire nation palace mm-hmm. i love the turtle ducks man <laughs> yeah you know it's a good show it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good show you love it's it a good show i'd recommend it a good show a grand old time <laughs> I must say, sir, it truly is a fine program. <laughs> you guys remember me of that scene where uh, where um, Sokka and Aang are trying to be all proper? Mm. Oh, yeah. And they headbutt each other? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, you can name an episode. I'll tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> I can tell you the plot for any episodes, but I don't know like the names. Or the... Oh, I know the names. I well, know the well names how does rewatching hold brain. up for you guys? Like... Because Obato, you said you watched it like at least ten times. Does it hold up each time, or like is it, it better each time, or honestly, has it gotten worse? It gets better and better each time. I okay. think one thing that has me like really appreciating it. And I don't want to go too long because I want. I know Alex has to go soon, but one thing that really I really appreciate it is the lore and the like the world. Like there are a lot of little details that you can pick up each time and a lot of nuance and not just the lore but the themes like i said you each time you rewatch it you notice a different action by a character a different facial expression and like it just it gets better and better like each now the most recent time i watched it i like was just so i loved every episode so much more like it just gets better and better yeah i would say same thing, rewatching it, it gets better and better. The thing I like to do with shows that I adore, like most people, is introduce other folks to them if they haven't. Um, even when I was in my grad school at OSU here in Columbus, there were people who hadn't watched Avatar. So we watched it 
And as to be able to see a show that, again, it came out over a decade ago, still have such a good story that people in today's day that has never seen it are still so deeply invested to it. When you have that initial excitement of, oh my God, this is a great show, matched with a fanatic's passion for that show, <laughs> this, this great energy through and through, even mm-hmm. particularly for um, the person who's the fanatic, because you don't want to spoil it. You don't yeah. want to go through like, just wait. You, yeah. just, you have to you have to withhold mm-hmm. your passion, but just to be able to see another life get invested in something mm-hmm. that you know is great and that they're coming into understanding is greatness. And you even like Obata said, you might be picking up on two different things. Like that's just that's what the community is all about. Absolutely. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But yes, with that, that is my time. Adi, as always, it's a good time, man. I really appreciate you having me back on, having Jonathan Obata mix. The boys are back. Hell yeah. So, back. yeah. I appreciate you, man. Have a good one. All right. Take care, Alex. Drink cactus juice. It'll quench you. Nothing's quenchier. It's the quenchiest. Okay, I think you've had enough. Who lit Toph on fire? All right, I guess we're going to have to pick up where we left off then. Mm-hmm. Um, John, did you have any further comments on um, rewatch value? Before yes, I move in? rewatch value, it's, it's there. It's absolutely there. Um, and even if, like, I, I, I love rewatching the show, and I'm not going to pretend to, like, know every single theme and motif inside the show. Wow, but, like, you're even a fake if, fan, dude. Fake fan. Um, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but like, even even if you don't know the themes and motifs and you know you just have a general idea of what's going on like rewatching the show is just so nice just for the pure sense of just art like watching um zuko fight uh azula that last scene in the Agni kai mm. um just i will always sit down and watch that you know watching again the season one finale i will always watch that like the, there's just episodes and like even not even whole episodes, but just scenes and pieces and just interactions that I just love throughout the show. And that's what keeps me from, that's what keeps me coming back and rewatching it. It seems like the art is so good and the message is just the icing on the cake. And that's, that's kind of where the replay value comes in at. Mm-hmm. It's just all yeah. of it being good and all of it being something for everyone. Yeah. That's what makes it powerful. Exactly. And so I mean, reaching. listen, we could have a whole episode, but the animation in art of the show is absolutely unparalleled. Like, like shit today looks wild. so bad. The there... stuff we were doing in 2008 that looks so exponentially better than like most shows that I see now. Like, it is truly wild to think about. Absolutely, like the animation that shows is it's un- unparalleled, and, and the the progression of the animation is also really cool. Because season one, you could tell they're still kind of finding like the the look that they're going for. It's a little mm-hmm. rough around the edges, but like season two, season three, beautiful, it just gets so crisp, so clean. Amazing. The action, everything. There are just so many, so many aspects of this show you could cover. Like, there one hour doesn't do it justice. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's. For me, I think I've probably rewatched it. My total rewatch is probably closer to five, maybe. I think the most recent time was in the pandemic, like height of the pandemic last year. We're still in it, guys, just because they're, you know, loosely shit doesn't mean <laughs> sure. anything, right? Yeah, but, sure. We're not done yet. Uh, but um, 
I think, yeah, when it came out on Netflix and then everyone was like, okay, fuck, let's all watch it again. I think it was, it's definitely positive to see like all these people getting to see it again for the first time. Um, for me personally, I think just seeing how good it was and then knowing what was going to happen in Korra um, kind of made me sad towards the end. And I was kind of just, I mean, I'm, I'm an annoying person. I consume media in a very annoying way. I rant while I watch. It's very unpleasant. I understand. But hey, man, if it works for you, it works for you. It's not working for me or anyone. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, the thing is, is with Cora, I was very excited for it because season three was like the last we'd ever get of it for a while. And like, again, there was nothing like Avatar. And then someone promising you, hey, it's back as a sequel. There's another Avatar now. You think like, oh my god, maybe life can be good again, <laughs> and um, uh, so it comes out, and I'm I'll, I'll admit like I liked the first season up front, but as it started to go on, I started to just like feel a pit in my stomach, like I couldn't say all the things about it that I wanted to because in my mind I'm like, well, I should be happy we're getting a sequel, but once I saw that, like remember in season three of it, they didn't even release it on TV at a point; you had to watch it on like online. Yeah, that's yeah. when I started to get the hint of like, okay, I think they're getting fucked over somehow, and we wouldn't they get the. They are. Whole... Oh, sorry to interrupt, Dottie. Oh no, no you're it's fine. Really, it really is a shame because I agree with you. I think season one is my favorite personally because that was supposed to be a one-off season, and it had like some form of closure. It was a nice ending. Like it was a good short series. Like if that was the whole series, it would have been very satisfying. It wasn't perfect, obviously, but I really enjoyed it, and I think. The way uh, Nickelodeon kind of kept tugging um, the creators back and forth. They're like, okay, well, now you get a season right. two, but that's it. And then they got a season two, and they're like, okay, now do a season three and four, but we're not going to give you money to do it. Yeah. So figure it out. And, like, yeah. it, it, it really is a shame because I a lot of people give Korra a lot of crap, which there are very apparent flaws in the show. So I understand it, but I think overall it is a very good show. Like, compared to most shows, it is very good. And I do genuinely enjoy it. There are parts that I very much dislike, but overall, as a as a series, I do enjoy it, and I just love being in that world. So I like, I, I do have a a soft spot for Cora. I, I am a Cora defender, and I will not apologize for it. Yeah, I I am also a Cora defender. Um, even though personally, like my favorite season is season one and season three. I think. Yeah, season um, three is good. Like yeah, but like personally, I I like the show. Um, they I feel like because of because it wasn't as thoroughly followed up at up as sorry, it wasn't thoroughly followed up on as Avatar the original was. Um, I feel like a lot of it was missing. It just it just felt empty. Um, but I will say that like I do like some of the plot lines and avenues they've explored. Like for example, like they did touch on topics that the original Avatar just didn't. Right, like um, specifically talking about like the vulnerability of the avatar like yeah and got shocked with lightning in the avatar state that's cool and all but like cora was like at one point literally like psychologically broken like cora right. was truly vulnerable like she was the definition of the word vulnerable and i like that you get you you create this character that on paper is like omnipotent right on paper this character can do anything but then you just break them down and you get to see how that character would react and you get to see, you know, how vulnerable that character can be. I really like how Korra followed up on that. Um, I like their execution in that sense. But in terms of the overall, 
like world building um in terms of the overall like lore and everything i think i feel like they could have done a lot better yeah and i think i was ultimately going to get to the world building aspect because that's where i have my first issue with it is the production note regarding republic city as a whole was what if manhattan happened in asia and that's something i take issue with because what the original series did so well was there was no real like yes there are parallels to the real world but it's not a world that the american audience recognizes and not even a for, uh, an international audience recognizes either it was not meant to look like our world but through it we could explore ourselves right and then trying to insert america into the picture now makes it problematic because now you have to insert american context into this world and even even a better creator could have handled it but i don't think it would it would have been good either because it's just it's a level of messiness that i don't think this world needed and that's why all the bad guys become explicitly political in ways that they didn't need to and become ham-fisted for that reason so like Amon is supposed to be a stand-in for socialists, but he ends up reading like a like a CIA dossier at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> That's wh- so true. Though. What is it like? Uh, Unalak ends up being like a religious extremist. Like I remember, literally, like people on social media put like a picture of him with the ISIS flag, and I'm like, oh, that is the point. Fuck, and you guys are just yeah. going with it. And then um, what is it? Uh, Zahir is supposed uh, to be an anarchist, Zahir. but anarchists aren't interested in that kind of behavior. So for me, I don't but, know what the Okay, pro- well, to be fair, I think that in terms of, like, anarchy, Zahir is the closest you're going to get to a villain. Yes, but in terms of, like, trying to intentionally destabilize things, I'm not sure. Like, in terms of, like, okay, an expression of someone who doesn't believe in hierarchy. Yeah, that's, like, a very literal definition of anarchism, yeah, it is, which it is, is, like... Yeah, it is literal It is yeah. literal Yeah. But I feel like in terms of villains... Like if you if you if you his, remember his motivation media. made a lot the most sense to me him and Amon which yeah. is why I think and even Kubir I thought her motivations made a lot of sense yeah which is yeah. why I ultimately don't mind them as characters I do think they have flaws but I think they're at least more interesting than a, a Fire Lord who's just I'm a bad guy who wants to take over the world I think they at least gave them a little more depth so I I, That's do... why I really didn't like the the second season like I yeah. feel like the bad guy was just bad to be bad because he's bad yeah and i want to i want to briefly go back to what adi was saying about uh manhattan and asia i i'm like really conflicted on that personally because on one aspect i think it's just really a really interesting concept but i think and i do like a lot of aspects of it i also think they kind of put themselves in a corner where they Mm kind of had to keep pushing it further and further and that's why like the giant cgi robots like right. just like do not do it for me and i think if you stuck to like just kind of this this world that you had already established and you hadn't pushed it so far in one direction you would have gotten something that felt a little more um a little more like avatar and a little less uh i don't even know the word maybe like absurd it just felt kind of absurd by the end because they were yeah. in this they created this version of, of a city and I think, but again, on the other hand, it creates a lot of interesting scenarios and a lot of new dynamics in the show. So it's something that I have very mixed feelings on. <laughs> Ultimately, it's not my favorite thing ever. But I mean, it is what it is. And I think the beautiful thing about Avatar is that because there are thousands of avatars, we can always go back a thousand years and learn about a new avatar. Or we can go 
forward and learn about a new avatar. Like there's just a lot of options and well trying to destroy the avatar cycle with that was why i took issue as well yeah that's let's i i would rant about that <laughs> i don't know if we have time for well, that. well no we, we can try i think we're yeah. at, we're at what like just an hour right now so i think we can maybe push another 30 minutes um I, i'm glad you brought up the points you, that you did because those make up my other criticism which is i think they were just too deeply influenced by the studio and market forces in a way that they shouldn't have had to be. So I think yeah, the I, to be clear, I don't think you're blaming them, right? You're blaming the studio. I mean, I can blame anyone I want, but That's I'm true. really, but really like, yes, I think that what I I'm think, really, yeah, yeah what ahead. I'm really getting at more so moreover than anything is that artists are forced to compromise to bend to the studio, which in turn is bending to market forces, right? Yes, I agree with so that. So I think yes. the whole Manhattan in New York thing, or the Manhattan in Asia thing, was to cash in on things like steampunk. The whole plot line, oh, the romantic yeah, plot lines of the shipping, it was to cash in on how people love to do shipping in shows. It was, I think, literally, there was an attempt made to say, listen... The Tumblr audience is the main one watching the show, so let's make it a show for Tumblr to enjoy and consume. And it backfired tremendously. You know, I don't know how I feel about that. John, what do you what do you think of that? Do you agree? I a hundred percent agree. Really? I, I, do. I, I do think that. Um, because that's kind of where the show blew up. Like I knew like okay, when Legend of Core was coming out, I knew it was a thing. Um I wasn't gonna I, I, did, I didn't watch it immediately right mm -hmm. my sister who again was with me with all the whole avatar adventures um she had a tumblr account she was looking around and saw how great the episode like it really did seem like it appealed to the tumblr audience and i feel like they shouldn't have had to do that you mm -hmm. know like avatar the last airbender the original appealed to literally everyone not only just because of the world building but because of the fact, like Adi said, it's a world, we know the world exists, we know it looks like reality, but we don't know where. I, I don't have a connection to that culture, which makes it so interesting to see things done differently. When I'm going back and looking at Legend of Korra and I'm looking at that world building, it's cool. You know, it, it has its ups, but like at the end of the day, it is really just trying to capitalize off of the Tumblr audience, off of steampunk, off of shipping off of just things it really doesn't need to lean on because I feel like once you start leaning on market forces and things like that, you stop leaning on the story, the art, the art itself. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. a really big problem that Cora had. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to get fully speculative on this, but I can even understand why they would have made that decision because trying to pitch a follow-up to Avatar was difficult from what I understand. Like those Avatar comics that came out afterwards those are actually from a pitch they made to do like a, t a TV movie after Avatar ended. I would have loved to see that. Yeah, so now it's a, it's that comic. I still haven't read those. I don't know if I will. Um, and then Korra is what they ended up getting, right? Korra is what they ended up like doing. But I think they probably had this idea of like, how do we pitch this? And if we say that the Avatar audience is going to come back, but where are they? The most visible ones are probably on, on social media. But social media users don't account for the rest of the audience. You know what I mean? Because we watched that show before social media was a thing, like maybe MySpace. But I don't think most of us were old enough to use it at that point or used it in True. that way. 
that's a really good point. Like, um, yeah. that's a really good point. The fact that the original Avatar: The Last Airbender it did so well in terms of growing with its audience. You know, we we look at season one, we were really young. We look at season three, we got to see you know growth of characters. We got to see the final fight. We we grew with the show, which is what you know it that happened so well. With Korra, I feel like the problem, especially in the beginning, was that you you need to kind of figure out where we are now after several years mm-hmm. after Avatar ended. So like it's not necessarily growing with the show, it's more like trying to like find the needle in the haystack or where do we start at and then grow from there with the audience, which I think that in terms of growing with the audience it did okay, but it really missed the mark on finding the original spot to start at. Mm-hmm. yeah i honestly after hearing you guys explain it i do i do i think i agree with you guys with what you're saying i th- i think the problem is that they just like grossly oversimplified it they're like well the last airbender their audience was kids now they're all early teenagers so let's make a show that we think early teenagers want and i think that's like kind of the point you guys are making with the tumblr aspect of it which i had never considered but makes a lot of sense now which, I mean, to be fair, I was in like a freshman in high school when it came out. So I was in that age, but you can't really just generalize and say all high school kids want this kind of more edgy steampunk thing, even though, again, I'm guilty, but I was a sucker for it. I loved it. So, and you shouldn't be ashamed of being a sucker for <laughs> no, it. I'm I not, mean, I'm not still, even saying I still adore it, especially that first season. I still really do love that first season. Um, but it, it does try to kind of simplify when, like we said, Avatar is a show for everyone. And they they were going for a niche audience, I guess, and it just kind of doesn't hit as well. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I wanted to get at, too, is I think what really stuck out uh, about Avatar is that it kept that spiritual lens to it, right? Or that you were connected to something deeper than just the material world of the show itself, right? And what I feel bad about in Korra is probably they weren't even able to make the same pitch for that material because they're like, we don't want to even show this, right? But there were so many missed opportunities with like Tenzin being like the descendant, like the one who has to make his culture come back to life and also being like one of the few repositories of deep wisdom that Korra has in her life. And they don't t- they don't make use of that at all. In fact, despite the spirits coming back into the world, the series is even more devoid of a spiritual context than its predecessor. I actually agree with that. I I think that one of the things that the first show did very well was the mystery. You know, Mm -hmm. we've only, we only, like, let's be real, in the first season, in the first, like, the original, we only saw a handful of spirits. We really did, if you think about it, right? Compared to Korra, where spirits were literally everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think the mystery behind it really like fed the fire to make it great and the fact that there were spirits everywhere now the fact that we like understand it more and i think that another really big issue with Korra is the void of an iroh-esque character mm-hmm. like the closest you really get is tenzin and let's be real tenzin is no iroh you know like the yeah. void the, the the arcs weren't as steep the 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 development was good but it wasn't as great as the original I feel like a, I feel like one of the big issues was that they missed the audience, like I said earlier, and like it, it, it just can't, it just doesn't hold up. It, it just doesn't hold up to the original. Yeah, and I think you're kind of nailing the, uh, the, nailing the point, John, is that like they, 
they almost got there. Like you said, Adi, they touch they touch on Tenzin being the last dis- like the only descendant who has to bring back culture, but they don't really get into it the way they should or really it's it's just a lot of almosts with Korra that really kills me about it and why I like I understand why people are frustrated with the show. I think people can be a little hard on it, but there is a lot of potential that is just not reached and it's a very hard act to follow. Like I personally think Avatar is the greatest show I've ever watched. Like just I think it's the best show I've ever seen and it's basically a perfect show in my opinion. So like how do you follow that up with you're going to follow it up with a less good show probably and that's what ended up happening. There were a lot of outside factors, but it is disappointing that the mystery wasn't there. Like I one thing that I think about a lot is a uh, code the face stealer like that mm-hmm. freaked me out as a child. And that fear it, but it was like a fun fear. You were like what is his deal? Like what happened with this guy? What is what is going on? And then like John said spirits are just kind of um just kind of there now. They're just chilling and there isn't this um I think almost the distinction of like making it like this is reality and this is another plane made it work really well. So there were a lot of creative choices that I don't personally love. And I think, again, it's just like almost, but not quite. And that's Cora's biggest problem. Yeah. And I think those uh, decisions that you brought out, like I see these playing out in other uh, big commercial uh, fictional properties, right? Where, uh, there's this tendency to just like make it a lore dump. And I think that comes from certain yeah. considerations of like probably the most engaged with the lore uh, type of viewer is the one who's going to buy the most merch. Right. And they're going to come back to it the most. Something like sure. that. Yeah. 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 Or even like um to to make uh, another Star Wars uh, fandom reference. Right. I think a lot of people mentioned that like all these older characters or older actors were brought into the new series and then made to like die kind of gruesomely in the series. And I feel the same way about how the avatar connection was severed uh, in Korra because there's a connection to the past that's critical and maintains continuity in big universes like that in fiction. And when you separate them, yes, you have shock value. Yes. You like put a big twist in there. But I think it's okay to keep magic in your world. You don't need to keep taking it out to like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like, like there's a difference between game of Thrones and like the rest of this shit. And that yeah. the whole point of game of Thrones is everyone is dying and life is cheap. And to be a hero is to take a big fucking risk. You don't need to do that everywhere else, but everyone sees it happen. And they're like, well, we got to start doing the same shit. We got to get those numbers up. Got to pump those numbers up, boys. And it Yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame. Honestly. It's a shame because it means artists can't even make their own decisions. Yeah. Yeah. They can't even fail uh, um, on their own merits. That's a really good point. Yeah. I like what you said about the Lord dump being annoying cuz that's like I'm not going to like I I do like Cora. I I I'm kind of pooping on her right now. But I do want to say we're doing it because we care, you know. Exactly. <laughs> ten out of ten. Cora, eight out of ten. You know, it's I, up there. I one hundred percent agree. Yeah. But I, but I have to, I have to give it to you, Adi. The lore dumps were really, really bad. Like, yeah, the they were. That is definitely one of my least favorite parts of the show as well. Yeah. Like even, even when it was fun, like we were talking about Avatar One, it, it just got a lot. It was just a lot of just lore just being just dumped at us at 
any point in time, as opposed to Avatar Last Airbender, where it was like gradually introduced. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with just being like, this is the way it works. These are there's an avatar, he connects with other spirits and or other avatars, and that's how it's always been. And you're like, okay, I understand that. It's an interesting concept. Like we don't we don't need an answer to everything. I think a right. lot of, I feel like a lot of shows either have a hard time with closing closure or over explaining things. Like they either mm-hmm. close it too hard or don't close it at all. And I think why Avatar Another reason why Avatar is Oh, so there were a lot of unclosed it. points. Intentionally unclosed points exactly. for that reason. And like the ones that needed to be closed were done very well. Um, and Korra just doesn't really find that balance, which ironically that is, I think, one of the season names. But um, yeah, you know, it it is... We got to get going, I think. But I do want to say it is a very good show. I would still recommend it to Avatar fans. There is still things to love and appreciate. Absolutely. Like we said, yeah. I mean, the art is just as good quality as Avatar The Last Airbender. There are some scenes that I'm literally like, I'm in awe of that just looks so absolutely beautiful. At the very least, there's a lot of cool bending fighting. You know, like you'll True. see some cool stuff happen. Like mm-hmm. it, there the is here was a man, dude. I love him so much. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, like, that's that's the thing. Is there are the a lot pe- of good qualities about mm-hmm. it? Is my point. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a bad show by any means. Oh, I I agree. And that's the thing is ultimately all the characters are relatable in the first season and have so much potential that you can still watch it just knowing how much potential it had. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just one of those things that's unfortunate because with Korra, we actually had a chance to do what the big representation project wanted. Have a strong female lead of color, kicking ass, taking names. Okay, girl was strong as hell. She warmed up with 220 Mm -hmm. on bench press, okay? Like, (laughs) Like, we were about to have the strongest avatar known to man and wasn't even a Mary Sue, but I think... They just made a ton of creative decisions that needed to appeal to that at a lip service level, but didn't get into the the reads of it. And this is kind of what I was speaking to last episode of, you know, we don't have to get too deep into marketing it, marketing it to the most academically minded people. Just having it be simple and honest and appealing to Mm -hmm. like the base humanity that we all have or the characters all have is enough. Yeah, it is. I, I think that's really Avatar is a show about humans, like and people, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so good. People, the world and they live in, and everything that binds the world them. they live in, and the the paths and journeys they take. And I think it's just such a beautiful show. I, so, I cannot say good enough enough good things about it. Honestly, I feel um, like I feel like I, I enjoyed Korra so much. I feel like if I feel like if you're gonna watch Korra, you just have to like you just have to know. It. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like. I feel like it's all, like Korra almost could have just been its own thing without the original Avatar, and it would have been so much better. Because like Obadi, you're right. Like the the first Avatar, the the original was about people, but I feel like Korra was more about spirits, and we didn't really know the rules of spirits and everything yet. Um, but all in all, I do think Korra was an excellent show, um, and I you're right. I would recommend it to any to any Avatar the Last Airbender uh, fans because I think most would like it. Mm-hmm. I would recommend it just as a way to really understand how market uh, forces and how studio pressures can derail a project. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, I would recommend it because it is a good show. Well, but I think no, but the, I recommend it because because I, I'm I'm emotionally just, connected. Yeah. Here's the thing: I'm emotionally connected to it in the same way as you guys, but I have yeah. to 
I want to be it's honest. It's hard to ignore it. Yeah, you have to be honest about it. There is, you just, there's a lot of prefacing with Korra, so, yeah. Yeah, because I enjoy a lot of bad things. I watched every Marvel movie. That's <laughs> with notwithstanding, right? But I think just understanding how much pressure artists are under to deliver a certain kind of project that can stay mainstream and make the most money is kind of indicative to where we are in the media moment. And I mean, you know, we can talk about there's a proliferation in superhero movies and bringing existing IP into like uh, what movies are acceptable to make these days. All I'm saying is take a look at what happened in 2008. There was a recession. Iron Man was the only movie that did well. And the studios made a decision to say, fuck it. Everything we're making is a superhero movie now. Because it seems yeah. to be the only thing that can stay commercially viable. And that hurts yeah. art. That's really all it, I'm getting it at. It does hurt it art. Does. And I think that's, to kind of wrap this up really quickly, like, the it, it is truly just a beautiful artistic show. Editor. Absolutely. Like, it, it is, you could tell that they had something they wanted to say, and they were able to say it the, the, the way they wanted to say it. And I, you know... I just absolutely adore the show. There's just so many. We could honestly talk about this forever. Uh, we got to get going soon. But uh, the way I would like to, you know, end it is I just want to say thank you, Adi, for having me. And um, My pleasure. You know, maybe we'll get a cup of tea when, when we hang out next time. I'll brew, I'll brew us a cup of tea. How about that? Yeah, that sounds absolutely. good. I would like that. Yeah. We'll play some pie show. Yeah, you have the pie show board, right? That's yeah. true. We will do oh, that. Man. That's that sounds like a good yeah time. this summer we <laughs> drink in tea playing pie show all right hot iro summer hot iro summer baby hot iro <laughs> well thanks again for coming back to the greenhouse dear listener uh i'll post our social media in the description below until then take care